Welcome to the Last Set Podcast, everybody. Today I'm joined by Jake O'Driscoll, who is a first degree black belt and has an extensive record of in BJJ, in BJJ. He is the founder of Essence BJJ, which is one of the leaders of no-gi grappling in the state. He is a four-time national champ, five-time IB, IBJJF Sydney Open champ, seven-time AFBJJWA state champ, ADCC national silver medalist, and multiple Pan Pacific medalists. Welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? Yeah, good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I got to start off by saying, damn, that was that's a mouthful. That's a that's a really really extensive and very well accomplished record in BJJ. I mean, out of all of those, which out of all those achievements you've got right now and all those competitions you've been in, which one most mostly stands out the best for you? Um, I'm not sure competition wise, man, because competitions is always the next one, and, and you always want to achieve more. I think obviously getting my black belt is probably the biggest achievement I have in jiu-jitsu in terms of an accomplishment, um, opening the gym as well. And then I have two black belts myself now. So um, I've given out two black belts. So those are probably rank higher in uh, achievements for myself um, than any competitions. But I'm a super competitive person, man. So I look at that and I'm like, that should be way more than what it is. So, um, but I'm happy, man. It's, it's, it's been a good ride so far. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I'm, you told me just before we started the podcast that you've been doing this for... 13 years now so that's obviously an extensive like extensive amount of time and one thing i always and thoroughly respect a lot about bjj i've only been doing this for nearly two years now but this is one of those things that it's just it's a lifelong lesson i have always been quite critical in the past of certain martial arts now there's certain schools and i understand that they have to have you know students in law but when they literally get their black belt after like three years it's 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 almost like it degrades the whole value of it. And I've definitely been critical before. But when someone says to me, I've done, I've done it for 13 years, that's when you know that they know their stuff. Yep. Now, uh, let's start really right now from sort of from the beginning. So how did you first get involved? Yeah, sure, man. So uh, I was playing football, uh, AFL, uh, like Aussie rule, sorry. Uh, and like most Aussie kids think you're going to get drafted and just have a career in the AFL. And, just and, and, yeah, and that'll be your, your life there, man. But... um. That didn't happen, so I decided I wanted to get a little bit fitter uh, before the next football season. So I started boxing, had a, a boxing coach I was working with, and then uh, he was like, man, you should you should wrestle with these guys. It'll help your fitness for, for football. I didn't want to do it, man. I, like most people, when they first see it, they're a bit like, oh, what is that? Uh, but I ended up doing it, man. I rolled with a pebble belt, and he just smashed me. And I just knew from that day on, like, that's what I was going to do. Um, literally didn't play high-level football again. So my family was a little bit off about that. They thought I was quitting and, and rah, rah, rah. But uh, now they understand, like, I actually had a passion straight away. And I was very lucky to be one of those people that found what they love um, quite early in their life and then try and work my life around uh, getting to where I am right now and uh, and continuing that. So that's pretty much how I started. Um, been training full-time pretty much since I started, man. I couldn't tell you a time when I have, I've had more than, you know, a week or two off, um, from oh. jiu-jitsu, whether that is like coaching, whether that is rolling, whether that is studying, like it never stops, man. Um, obviously injuries and stuff, but there's always something you can do. I'm a big believer in that. Um, I mean, you're a, you're a PT, uh, you coach people, uh, you would understand that as well, man. Like uh, I'm very big with my athletes when they, uh, you know, they've hurt something or oh, my leg hurts. I'm like, cool, come coach, come take photos for people, come, you know, help people out. Like there's always something you can do. Um, 
So I've, I've been pretty dedicated to it for a long time and it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. So. Well, I'm extremely uh, happy about that because uh, I feel like one thing I get out of you and a lot of, one thing I get out of a lot of uh, BJJ uh, and even fighters in general is that a lot of them really tend to have like an addictive personality mm. and it's not in a negative thing at all. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's two levels to them. If they don't, it doesn't interest them at all. They'll just be like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But if they absolutely lo- uh, get fully interested in it, then they will immerse themselves like 100% yeah, in it. That's me for sure, man. That's uh, that's me with everything I do. Uh, my partner and I talk about this all the time, man. I'm all, I'm either all in or I'm just not, just not doing it at all. So uh, it's good. It's good in a sense, man, because it keeps you, you you're dedicated, you know, and disciplined. Probably they're the biggest thing, you know, that with that uh, addiction to jiu-jitsu is the discipline that a lot of people don't have um, and that drops off quite a bit. Uh, but it does have its cons too, man. I spent a lot of time studying and watching jiu-jitsu and uh, I've made mistakes in the past where I, I haven't been present with the people around me. Um, and that's, you know, something as I get older I'm trying to focus on a lot more um, and put some effort into that and prioritise it. So yeah, the, That and it would also just... Also, sometimes come down to the way you have a perspective of when it comes to learning. Um, let's say, for example, people do certain occupations and they feel like they've they've maxed it out when they do it for a certain amount of years. Yep. But when it comes to martial arts or even it can even come down to tra- uh, PT, all you'll ever know is pretty much like, you know, like a drop in the ocean. And there's yeah. the saying, the more you know the less you so the more you know the le- the more you realize you don't no, know no, yep, yep. that's the way way of saying it yeah uh and it comes like that to coaching because you can always because with pjj you can always be a better coach you can always be a better athlete yeah, yeah and there's i don't feel like there'll ever be a time where we can truly max out and i feel like that based on what i've read for you is definitely a huge example because yep. the, your list of accolades so one, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on because you said to me earlier on that you've traveled around yes. doing BJJ. So let's start from when did you like have your first like out of the state traveling uh, for BJJ? Yeah, cool, man. So like pretty much within six months, uh, I had I started competing within like three months and just got wrecked. And then I was like, man, I need to I need to keep competing. And, and nationals was coming up maybe six to nine months after I um, started training. So that was in Darwin. So I actually um, flew up to Darwin uh, with a friend of mine um, and we competed and I ended up taking silver and gold uh, in my first nationals. So that was a, like a big eye-opener for me, like, okay, I can do this. Um, and then my coaches at the time, I was lucky enough to meet a guy called Abmar Barboza. Um, he's, a bit over, like he's a bit older now, but if he was uh, in his prime right now, he'd be the, the highlight of jiu-jitsu. If you go check his highlights, it's mm-hmm. crazy. He actually came to Perth, um, we became friends, and he invited me to go and live with him in, in Washington uh, when I just got my blue belt. So I was living with a high-level competitor um, for a long time, man, and just uh, for a few years, just back and forth between here and America, competing, Pan Am's Worlds, training with Abmar, um, training with Robert Drysdale. I spent a lot of time with Z- at Zenith with Robert Drysdale, and at the time we had like a crazy, crazy room, man. Like we had... Uh, Philippe Andrew was there, who just doubled gold at Euros on the weekend. Hanato uh, Canudo was my main training partner, who would just smash me every day, man. Um, Ricardo Ramos was there. He's in the UFC at the moment. Mm. Um, man, just, the list goes on. So, like, at the time, we didn't obviously know we were all purple belts or, or blue belts. We didn't know what kind of level we had in the gym. But 
Um, those kind of experiences, man, really showed me what I wanted to do when, when I had my own gym, but also gave me those lessons that like um, the levels that I want to achieve are achievable if I put the effort in, you know, like uh, you don't need to go to some super team. You don't need to be, you know, in America or Brazil. Like, man, we've got world-class guys here in WA. We've got world-class guys here in Australia. Like uh, you can do it from here, you know, and I think that's only going to get better um, as the as the years go on, you know, we've started to make our mark. Craig Jones, Lockie Giles, um, those guys have really put us on the map. And there's so many talented males and females, man. The female level in Australia is huge. Um, doesn't get spoken about as much as I believe it should. Why um, do you believe that? I mean, it's just the interest in terms of like spectators, the eyes. Obviously, there's probably more males than females competing, you know. But I, I say this a lot in the gym, man. We've got um, a brown belt. We've got a couple of purple belt females. It's harder to get a purple belt in jiu-jitsu as a female then i reckon a black belt as a male you know, wow they, they go through okay. s- they go through so much uh in terms of one being comfortable in the gym they need to find a gym they're comfortable with uh, a majority of them are usually undersized and under strength so they're constantly getting um you know just thrown around and strength and things like that jiu-jitsu for women isn't huge in gyms you know if you've got 10 women in the gym like you're considered like a women's friendly gym which is crazy you know like if i only had 10 women members like what's going on you know so um but they're so technically good like uh some of the best roles i have in the gym man is um, my partner she's a purple belt she's so good and then adele um fornarino i don't know if i said that right she'll tell me off (laughs) she's ridiculous you know she comes in and and we roll every day and she's getting better and uh, she's won worlds before but she's a she's a big chance of winning adcc trials um coming up which which would be huge so um man the the level of the women in this country is ridiculous and i think we're going to start seeing that a lot more um live giles really set the set the way getting to adcc um last year um and there's so many more to follow so yeah well well well, definitely that's good to hear so it's you're right about i would say about the whole men in jiu-jitsu they're definitely finding a lot more definitely and also there'll be less but i do believe it's quite the whole um the sport itself, it does, it, it can become very uh, attractive to females because it does teach them how to obviously defend themselves in, you know, almost a life certain sense. Yep. But the best way I've always, uh, always wa- wanted to project it to was also to children. Yep. I feel like the, sometimes the best way they can teach it to is children. Also, the, when they start young, the, the better. Like, yeah. imagine starting at 10 years old. I started when I was 20, 21. Yeah. So, I thought to myself, like halfway through after six months, I was like, imagine if I just did this when I was 10 years old, I would have been a completely different person. And I also thought that all the stuff that kids go through and they worry about, you know, does this person like me or do I like that person or worry about school? But none of that matters when you're on the mats and like you, f- you watch someone change dramatically oh, after they've done a certain amount of training. Uh, now, because you competed so much and now you have so many students under you and obviously that speaks for itself. Yep. We talked about uh, doing a certain amount of training before competing. Yep. So I want to ask, what's a good amount of time? Let's say if someone just walked in off the streets, never done anything like this before, yeah. what's a good amount of time do you reckon they should be trained before they go into a first competition? Man, I, I, I think like the sooner the better. Like three months is okay. But I think it's what your expectations of competing are. So like if you're like expecting to go out there and and win and and you know destroy everyone and 
have your accolades and your Instagram posts and things like that. Like <laughs> you're, uh, yeah, you're, you, you're probably going to get let down, man. But if you're going out there to experience it, because I talk about this all the time, like it's not the same as being in the gym. Now, whether it's a local comp or a world-level comp, like there's different feelings, there's different emotions, there's different, um, you know, the intensity is extremely different. So like if you want to experience that, I reckon like three months you'll be fine going in a local comp. Now, you might not lose and you might get submitted, but I got submitted in 20 seconds in my first comp. And I, I talk to about this story all the time with people that are getting nervous for competition and stuff like that. But when I got submitted, I didn't come off the mat and be like, I mean, man, I, I had like 30 people there to watch. Like it was embarrassing. But I didn't come off the mat and be like, oh, like and quit and be like, oh, well, I lost. So mm. I was like, cool. Like that's what it feels like. Now I want to feel what it's like to win. Know, and then when you win a match, you're like, oh, that, that feeling is addictive, you know? And it's crazy because it lasts like 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. You put all this effort in and then you get your hand raised and you're real happy and then you come off the mat and you're like, okay, what's next? And you're like, it keeps rolling and rolling, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, it, it depends on the gym, man. If you go to a competitive gym that, that do produce competitors, I think three to four months you'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did go to, like, a more of a hobbyist gym, you know, the techniques might be different that they're teaching. It might be a little bit... Uh, of a bigger wake-up call for you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just jump in whenever you feel ready is, the, is probably the best answer. Yeah. So when and for yourself, how long did you train for before you had your first competition? Oh, like three months, man. Three months. Yeah, so it, was, it was pretty quick. Like yeah. as soon as I could. It was a state titles back then. Uh, I jumped in as like as, as quick as I could. Um, I still had all my mates from footy that come down to watch. My family were like wanted to see why I had stopped doing football. So they came down to watch. I n- hit a nice double straight in the closed guard. He just rolled for an armbar and tapped me in like 20 seconds. Oh, okay. Uh, I still remember it clearly. Yeah, and so. was that like a round robin or was it just... Was no, it just I was out. That was it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You got one match yeah, and it was over day. in 20 seconds. Yeah, done for the day, yeah. Wow. Oh, my. Okay, so then what happened once the whole competition was over? What did you do then? Like, it, it was a bit heartbreaking, man. Like, uh, I, was, I felt like I'd let everyone down and I was a bit of a, a loser, you know. You go through those feelings, but... And I've, I've always been pretty uh, goal-orientated. So I was like, okay, let's go. Like, this is it. And then, like I said, about six months later, I, I jumped into nationals. Um, Nogi was first man. I won my first two matches, got into the final, um, and just was happy with that. And I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to get a medal. Like, And then I lost the final, and I was like, oh, sweet, I got silver. I can tell everyone I got silver at nationals. And then I still had the gi division to go. And I remember just thinking, man, like, well, I've done enough now. I've done enough. And mm. then... I went into the gi just to have fun and I ended up winning. So I was like, okay, well, that's what that feels like. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe if I focus a lot into this, I can do something with it, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think because you your attitude had pretty much changed already from just winning silver in the no gi, sort of like affected the mindset going to the gi, you weren't as stressed out, therefore you were able to pretty much perform better? Definitely, man. Yeah, okay. definitely. I think the amount of pressure we put on ourselves when we compete, and that's still something I, I deal with a lot, man, and I talk to my athletes a lot about, is way more than the pressure from the outside, you know? Um, Kit Dale, who's another Aussie icon, um, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. He sat me down once, we were at a competition, and he... He has some ridiculous record in Australia, man. Like, he's lost, like, two matches or something. Wow. So, like, it's, it's crazy. Anyway, we're sitting there, and we're both black belts. Um, or I might have been a brown belt. Sorry, I can't remember. But I was really nervous. And he's like, why are you so nervous? And I was like, oh, man, I want to do well. I want to do this. I want to win, you know. And he's like, man, I'm going to tell you a piece of advice, right? And this is going to upset you because I know how much you care about jiu-jitsu. But nobody gives a shit about you, man. Like, mm. nobody cares whether you win or lose. That's good advice. Your, fam- <laughs> your family care. 
whether yeah. you're, you're happy. Yeah. Now, happiness usually comes from winning and sadness usually comes from losing. Mm. So but they don't care about the result, man. So you just got to go out there, just do what you do and you'll be fine. And that stuck with me because I'm like, he's right. Like, I don't care if my partner loses the match. Like, I don't love her any less or I don't mm. you know, think she's a loser or whatnot. But if she's sad, then I want to console her. But if she's happy, then I'm happy. Mm. So, like, I just try and tell guys and girls that in the gym, man. Like, we prepare. The process is the most important. How we prepare, how professional we are with our preparation, what we do off the mat, how we get to training, et cetera, is the most important result will take care of itself you know you, you do that, that stuff you're going to give yourself the best chance so wow uh that's a great piece of advice like we uh no one really cares i actually say that to a lot of people uh as well when it comes to like let's say achieving anything people really generally i mean they will say congratulations but there's never a sense of like care enough to that's it after like five seconds you got to move on pretty yeah. much and yeah. there's always one thing that's always stuck with me um when it comes to winning and losing my dad said to me uh actually two things the first thing he said is never brag because what it does is it prevents us from bragging for you that was the first thing yeah that's cool yeah. Uh, i like that one yeah. and then one thing he told me when i was six years old and i remember i was complaining so much about football and all that has carried me since then he said Whenever it comes to winning or losing, you can complain for 10 seconds or boast for 10 seconds and you've got to move the fuck on yeah. because that's how long it was relevant for. Yeah, for because sure. the longer if you hold on to it or define yourself by that win or define yourself by that loss, yeah, that's definitely, it, man. more it's going to weigh you down. It's, it's great advice, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, obviously, since you're 13 years of doing it, you said you did a little bit of boxing yep. and all that. Um, did you ever experiment with any other kind of grappling sports? Uh, I had a professional MMA fight. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah, within like, Maybe 12 months of training, man. Basically, no striking, was a white belt. Took a fight on, uh, I think, my coach, uh, uh, Romel Luistro, who's got a really successful MMA gym now. Um, mm. Not too far from my gym, actually. He called me on Monday, asked me what I weighed. I was like, 74 and a half. He's like, cool, you're fighting at 65 on Saturday. <laughs> and I was like, Did you get a choice? Nah, bro. Nah, <laughs> I was still pretty young, man. I was still pretty young. And, and like, man, like, we're still friends to this day, like, um, he's, he's a good guy, man. And I trusted him and like, it was a fight, man. Like uh, I was working security back then. Like I get in fights every weekend, man. Okay. Like, and it was one of those things that it was just, I was training MMA with him and his, his team. I wasn't full-time jujitsu at the time. So I was like, oh, it is what it is. Um, I ended up getting, it was a pr pretty funny story, man. I, I cut the weight, but it was, man, I still can't sit in the sauna for a long time to this day. Cause it was ridiculous, you know? And we had some like Aussie legends on that card, man. Steve Kennedy fought on that card. Solo Palele fought on that card. Palele, um, mm -hmm. Luke J Jimu, who, who was in the UFC, he fought on that card. Like, it was a pretty crazy card, man. And um, I just got smashed by this. The guy was a brown belt, Muay Thai state champ. Like, wow. I, was, I was cannon fodder, pretty wow. much. And um, he ended up choking me, but he punched me a couple of times before that. So I was bleeding. And it was at a time when we weren't fighting in the cage. We were fighting in a ring. Oh. So the Herald Sun was there because it was in Melbourne to do a, a story on why we can't fight in the cage compared to a ring so i was getting rear naked choked with like blood pouring down my face and i was trying not to tap because i was like oh it was like a minute bro a minute 30 max Whoa. and they took a photo front page of the herald sun was like is the cage like you know uh dangerous or whatnot so my mum was freaking out and, oh. and but it was just one of those things man it was a good experience i always said i would go back and then the more i got into jiu-jitsu the more i realized like this is my passion and what i wanted to do and I could get quite good at this, you know. MMA, especially now, man, is like you got to be good at everything. You know, 
you've got to be able to put time into absolutely everything. Um, I don't enjoy hitting the bag, man, or hitting pads or anything like that. Like, I I would get bored, man. Yeah. That, that's just me. Like, that's not throwing it out there to anyone else. But I could do jiu-jitsu all day, every day. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to stick with it. That also explains what we were talking about just before we came in about um, athletes being broke yes. as well. Because yeah. there's, especially for MMA, like, think about how many fighting styles there are and you have to try and expand your knowledge on as many of those you can as possible that mm. requires an extreme amount of hours in a yeah. day over years which people are spend those times actually working on all that yeah. and that's why a lot of them are broke because it's so because they have to dedicate so much of their time, time to the craft yeah. Yeah. And, and then when injuries and that stuff pop up man you, you might not be able to fight for a while you're not getting paid like it, it can be pretty it's a hard life, man. People think it's it's cruisy that you just get to train every day. And, you know, I mean, I'm talking from a jiu-jitsu point of view. Uh, MMA fighters obviously got way more that they have to do. But, like, people think you just train every day and it's an easy, laid-back life. But it can be really rough, man, for uh, for a competitor to, to try and make a living off one jiu-jitsu or even MMA. Like, it's not. You see you guys like Izzy Adesanya who's killing it and he's got a lot of money and mm. you know, he's, a, he's a good guy and, and whatnot. But people but don't see that the 100 kickboxing fights that he had before he exactly, even got to yeah. the UFC. And like how much did he make doing those fights, man? Probably, mm. ne- probably next to nothing, you know? like yeah, Pennies. Yeah, mm. yeah. so like, you know, he's, he's grinded away for so long and you have so many athletes like that, man. Like, um, we're so lucky now. Jack Deller is obviously um, in the UFC and he's one of those guys, man, seeing him grinding away at Scrappy MMA for, for years and years, and now his skills are being shown to the world, thankfully. Um, and he's just such a good guy too, man. But, man, I, when I was co- I was coached at Scrappy for a little bit with uh, my coach, Ed, mm-hmm. and Jack would be there all day, man. Morning, like lunch, night. You just knew that guy that was going to be something special, you know, and that's what it takes. So Interesting. We did actually speak about that when he came on for an episode uh, not that long ago. And I asked him, like, on average, how many hours have you doing a training? He goes, uh, it was like, there's a little bit of hesitation. And then he said he's a minimal in that place, at least eight hours a day or yeah. something, probably even more. Yeah, and that's, and that wouldn't be, like, that wouldn't be him exaggerating, man. Yeah. You know, and, but then again, his coach as well, like Ben Vickers and the coaching team they have there, they put just as many hours in, you know, like yeah. Jack will, will reap the, I mean, he's a super humble guy, so he wouldn't be, um, be arrogant about it, but, you know, Jack will reap the rewards of the the fame and stuff when he yeah. when he starts winning like he is. Yeah. Uh, but like Ben's been there every step of the way with him, you know. So like sometimes the coaches don't get the accolades that the athletes get, but the bond there between athlete and coaches is a huge uh, part of the game too, man. Mm-hmm. So one thing I just want to ask, just circling back to your first MMA fight, how old were you at the time? Oh, probably twenty. Yeah, I was pretty young, man. I was still a white belt, so <laughs> I, so I, was I just 20. took piece into the two. Yeah. Did you ever do another fight after that? Was nah. that just the only fight that you ever did? It was the only fight, man. I, I, had, I think I had a couple scheduled, but I ended up breaking my nose at one point. And then um, when I was doing, like, when I was with Ramel, he took me to another gym, and I met these two Brazilian guys, um, Igor and Cassiano Cunha, who ended up being, they were black belts. I ended up just following them around everywhere, man, especially Igor. Like, we, me and him got pretty close. And then I just made the switch to jiu-jitsu pretty much full-time from there, man. And was like, didn't look back from there. I always said, like, it was always going to be like when I got my purple belt, when I got my brown belt, when mm-hmm. I got my black belt. But uh, things just change, man. And, like, jiu-jitsu's changing. You know, like, I'm able, thankfully, to make money from jiu-jitsu, not mm-hmm. just from the gym, you know. So, mm-hmm. like, I like I don't want to take away from that that revenue stream either, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I just wouldn't enjoy it, man, to be fair. I just don't see why I would do it, so... Well, that's good because 
that you've dedicated that much time to it. So what what did you did you have to do when you got your black belt? Did you have to do some form of like exam no. or was it just one day in the gym? Yeah, coach no, decided it's time. Yeah, exactly, man. Ed Ed, Ed kind of let me know so that my family could be there. My my ex and my daughter um, were there, which was was amazing. And all the guy I got it at Scrappy MMA actually, and Ben Vickers was there too, man. So mm. like, he just let me know, hey, look, it's time. Um, I'm gonna give you your black belt. And uh, yeah, I gave a speech, man. I cried. It was one of those things, and uh, still still holds a special place in my heart, man. So it's it's still probably my biggest achievement. Oh, cool. So. Let's talk about your gym. That's that's a, that's a really big topic I wanted to bring up. Uh, so you you got your black belt in roughly ten years, did you say? No, it was less, man. I less. Think, I think it was. Yeah, I have my black belt for four now, so just over eight, I think. Yeah, okay. So it's thirteen at the end of this year. So it would have been just over eight that I got. Uh, and that's still bloody solid amount of time. So you named your gym Essence Jiu Jitsu. Now that's a very interesting name. Yeah. Uh, so what what made you decide? Well, this is a sort of sort of a two part question. When did you decide? You know what? I'm gonna do go on go on this for myself. I'm gonna make have my own gym. And well, how did you come up with that name? Yeah, cool, man. So the name was literally just um, myself and my ex. Just uh, it was. I've always spoken about having my own gym, and I was just throwing names around there all the time, man. Like pretending to, to make logos and stuff. And um, Essence was the one that I probably stuck with the most. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Googled around, no one had it. And I was like, all right. So I like ended up just paying for the ABN way before I even opened it just so like no one would take it you know um and then it just happened by opportunity man one I was doing CrossFit with one of my mates and he owned a successful gym and he wanted to expand um so he asked me if I wanted to sublease some space if he got a bigger gym um I didn't really want to to be fair man I wanted to wait at least another year because my biggest thing was I didn't want my daughter to suffer if I failed so I didn't want to I didn't want to open a gym put everything into it let's say it failed and then she can't have nice things. So I was like, I want to have so much X amount of money in my bank, X amount of time in my job so that if something happened, you know, she's safe. So I was probably a year off that, man. Um, but I worked out the cost of the subleasing and it was like next to nothing, man. So I was like, well, worst case, I have my own spot. I can train with my guys or girls and, and just be able to open up whenever I want. Um, and then it just grew and grew, man. After the first 12 months, which is what the sublease was, uh, I looked for my own spot got it where we are now man and it's just grown ever since so um to be fair man it was just chance and an opportunity and i just took it so So, uh, it's been around for that place has been around for three years now yeah yeah lovely and so when you started up like was there when you tried to build what was the biggest obstacle for you when you were trying to build up your uh gym for, for like the first year because was i'm sure it must have been pretty hard because it must have hit just before the pandemic happened yeah, and all we that literally yeah. signed the lease man for the new place like four months before covid hit so wow. like, if, if someone had told me that was going to happen i probably wouldn't have done it but okay. i'm glad i did um okay. but you know if you you were told like the next two years you're gonna be fighting this pandemic etc probably not but uh yeah we we did so that was that was okay man probably the biggest thing man is just building the culture in the gym it takes time um, building your coaches up, your coaching staff, your leaders in the gym. You know, the biggest thing for us at Essence is that culture. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very vocal about, like, we don't allow people in the gym who uh, don't fit the culture, man. Like, if okay. you're, you're going to be a douchebag, I'm going to tell you to leave. If you do something wrong, I'm going to tell you off. Mm-hmm. My, my coaches are going to tell you off. Like, we're not obviously going to be, like, aggressive towards you, but, you know, if you, hey, man, we don't do that here. 
and then you keep doing it, I'll just ask you to leave. Man. Okay, can you tell me a little bit more about the culture? Do you have like certain guidelines you get your students to follow? Kind of, man. It's just common sense stuff, though. Okay. You know, like shaking hands when you come through the door, like uh, not, you know, not wearing shoes, uh, wearing your shoes in the toilet or outside. Like, okay, that doesn't seem like much, but like that can invite, you know, ringworm and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you get ringworm you as a PT all over your arm, yeah. it's probably not a good look, right? Uh, so it's, so it's, so it's going to affect your business, yeah. et cetera. So like little things like that, man, and just all being on the same page, we're very team first, you know, like even when one of us has a super fight and wins or, you know, a few of us have a good tournament result. It's not them, man, it's us, you know, mm -hmm. like because we can't do it without everybody else. That includes the hobbyists, you know. We are known to be competitors. We have a good competition squad. We've got some professionals, et cetera. But, man, you come in our gym, they don't get treated any different to anybody else. In fact, they probably get treated worse, man, because mm -hmm. not worse, but, like, I expect more from them and someone that comes once a week to, to learn self-defense, you know, but everybody's treated equally. Mm. And that includes myself, you know, obviously I have a say, the majority say of what happens in the gym, but, you know, I'm not going to break the rules and then tell you off for doing it, you know? So like it comes from the top. I'm a big believer in that. That's one thing when I traveled around the gym, gyms around the, the country and, and the world, man, like I think it like it trickles down from the top always, you know? So like I said, my two black belts are, are two of my best friends. You know, I've never had an issue with them in the gym. So, like, if I don't have an issue with them, why would I let someone that has come in for a month, like, dictate what they do in the gym? Like, it doesn't make any sense, man. So, we, um, it's the biggest, the biggest focus for us, man, is the culture. And, mm. again, that's why we have such a big women's team. I think I've got 25 to 30 women wow. in the gym, man. How many students do you have in your gym in total? Uh, it's about over 150, just over 150. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got about 25 to 30 women, man, that train. They have their own women's class. Um, oh, that's nice. My, like my partner, Bam Bam, was running it. Adele takes it sometimes. And then Jessie Weston is a purple belt. She takes it sometimes too, man. They have their own class. But majority of the time, man, you get six to ten women in the normal classes because they're comfortable. They know that they're going to be able to roll with you or roll with one of the other guys and not feel scared that they're going to get hurt. Because if they feel like that, they know they can come to myself or Bam Bam and talk to us and we'll do something about it. You mm. know what I mean? Like I'm not scared to go and, you know, confrontation is a big thing for gym owners. Like, oh, I don't want to lose a member. It is, it you is. You know what I mean? And for us, like, of course, losing a member means losing money, but I don't see it that way. Man. Because mm. if we have a bad culture, we're not going to have enough members anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's more important for me that people are safe and comfortable. And my daughter's in the gym all the time, man. So like she needs to be comfortable. That's how I always look at it. If she's not comfortable growing up in here, then we've got an issue so yeah. I got to, you know, I, I revert back to that five-year-old mentality. Mm. What's comfortable for her, you know, how people act and things. So, okay, do, if you don't mind me asking, then, uh, do you believe the saying um, when John John Danaher once said, "Jiu-Jitsu can make you a better person, but it can also make you an even worse person." Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Big time, man. People always say, "Oh, there's no ego. Oh, you lose ego in Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, there's no ego in Jiu That's a load of bullshit. Yeah. Mm. There's ego, and some of the highest belts were the ones with the most ego. You know what I mean? But to be fair, like to get to a certain level, you need ego. You know what I mean? But it's how you treat other people. You know what I mean? Like I can have an ego and believe in myself and believe I'm one of the best in the, in the country or the world or et cetera. But I don't have to be an asshole to you. Mm. You know what I mean? And then same thing. Like if I'm getting my ass kicked by one of the girls, you know, that's where you would have that bad ego. If I turn around and go, well, if I just strength it, she can't beat me. Mm. You know, we, we discuss this all the time, man. Like we... 
Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's a constant battle, but we don't talk about uh, winning in the gym. I call this out all the time, man. Like, nobody cares if you win in the gym. Nobody cares if you tap so-and-so five times or blah, blah, blah. We care about skill development. You know, you're going to win more or have more success the higher your skill level gets. But if you focus on winning or losing, you're never going to get better at your skills. Mm. So we, like, that's one of the things in our culture, man. Like, it comes from the leaders. You know what I mean? They, my coaches and my black belts, brown belts, whatever, they preach the same thing. We're all on the same page. You know what I mean? But it comes from me. If I tell you not to focus on winning and then we roll and I'm like, oh, man, I caught you five times, ha, ha, ha. Then you're going to be like, what? You just told me not to do that. Like, mm. you know what I mean? So, like, it comes from the top. So I'm a big believer in that, man. But, yeah, there's definitely <laughs> ego in jiu-jitsu, 100%. Yeah. Uh, like, let's say even if there is ego, when you talked about everyone has an ego, I do believe that it can be a big driving force for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, for example – you know, like top, top level, Gordon Ryan. Um, people argue whenever or not he's good or bad for jiu-jitsu and obviously doesn't have any good, but it really drives him mm-hmm. as well to be the best. And not even that, but I always, I got to tell people, if you think ego, some people are good or bad, think about where jiu-jitsu actually came from in yeah. the first place. Oh, like I've read, um, what's his name? Ricks and Gracie's book, Breathe. Have you yeah, read yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal shit. When he was like 21 years old, he was, running down to the beach to beat up surfers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very true, man. But then you also like, it's very easy for us to look at someone like Gordon Ryan um, and be like, you know, he's the minority, man. He, mm. He's not the majority. You know what I mean? So like whether you agree with what he does or what he doesn't do, like that's besides the point. But if you look at Gordon Ryan and be like, I want to be Gordon Ryan, there's a good chance you're not, man. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone that, could. No. That's what I mean. But that, yeah. that goes across any sport, man. If you turn to you know, boxing, like, there's one Tyson Fury. There's, you know, he, there's a lot of good heavyweight boxers, but there's one. Mm. You know what I mean? You can't focus on that guy and be like, that's me. That's what I want to do. You know what I mean? Like, what's working or what's happening for the majority of people? And the majority of people in jiu-jitsu don't act like that, okay? Now, they don't get paid like that either, yeah. which I think is a big driving factor to a lot of what he does. He's very good at marketing to get paid. Um, but again, man, like, what... Has anyone really sat down and got to the in-depth of what his motives are? Is he making money so that he can look after his family or generations to come? And, you know, this is his, he's been doing this for how long? Oh, how God, he, he started fighting when he was about six years old. His dad made him fight his brother for fun. His so, dad's fucking crazy. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, how else is he going to make money if he doesn't, if he gets out of jiu mm. So it's one of those things, man. Like, there's a lot of factors to it, man. Uh, I I don't... I think the social media side is terrible, and I'm a big... Um, okay, that's our thing I definitely wanted to get into. Yeah. Because uh, I'll even confess up to myself. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. This is why I had to do it. But now looking back at it, I kind of almost felt a little bit of a shame. So first, I'll tell you myself. So first competition I ever had, I got absolutely demolished. I hyperextended my elbow because I, I tried to sneak out of an armbar. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that was my own damn fault. Yeah. And... Uh, in the first competition, I won. I lost three. Lost my first three matches. Won next three matches. Then I thought it'd be a good idea also to do gi as well afterwards. Yeah. Lost four matches with Drew for competition because it was like you know what I've, I can't. Yeah. I've had enough. Yeah. Like the last match lasted twenty seconds. Yeah, it's a lot. So <laughs> a lot of matches, man. It is a lot of matches. Yeah. Uh, and what was it on the day? Take. I thought. Oh well, I've already been 
doing weights training for nearly like eight years. I thought I'm already an athlete. I'm, I would be okay. That's not the fucking case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then I did another competition six months later. Um, drew two, lost two, won two. Yeah. Did another competition again a few months later. It was the last one in November. Best day in the office I've ever had. Yep. Six month, uh, six wins. Um, and we'll, we'll buy a Kimura happiest day yep. and it meant so much to me because it was the anniversary i had to put down my uh, uh bull terrier okay. uh, nelly so one of the reasons why i started taking jiu-jitsu so quickly uh, so seriously was after i had to put it down because i was so upset all the yes. time i was angry all the time yes and that's one of the things i love about it it helps you control those emotions it helps you focus that energy on something else big time yeah and then i actually did put up a social media post saying look uh, i won today this has been so big for me i'm so grateful for it you know this has changed my life blah 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 it means so much because it was the anniversary i put down nelly sure and then when i posted it but by the end like a few days later i just thought like i went back to training like not no, nothing had happened yeah people will say well done man and they congratulate you and i love it but like i said again i wonder if i posted it, i was like this doesn't mean anything uh, this is all just one step yeah and i mean the, for you man like if, if you were in my gym what i would be talking that there is the process to get to where you were is way more important than you know that 10 seconds after you win yeah you know, like you you suffered defeat multiple times before you got those six wins but you also you know had some emotional baggage that you were dealing with and you know that's one thing i'm huge on for jiu-jitsu i believe advocating for mental health um is my next path for jiu-jitsu um showing that you know jiu-jitsu is uh, a good way to help with people's mental health, but also mm. showing that it's okay to speak up about mental health in jiu-jitsu. You know, like okay. I, I, I suffer quite badly um, from from anxiety, definitely. Um, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And, you know, they use jiu-jitsu as a vehicle to, to try and forget or distract or, or those kind of things. But it's so much more than that. You know, mm. it can help you so much more than as a distraction for that one or 90-minute or class, you know. So... Um, as you were saying, man, yeah, okay, like you felt a little bit bad about putting the post up, but I wouldn't look at the post, man. I'd look at the 12 months before yeah. that and what you had to do yeah. to get to that point, you know? Okay, the post is a, is a vindication of what you've done. And, I mean, we're all guilty of posting on social media, et cetera, but, I mean, the path to get there, man, it's not always as easy as people think it is. Mm. So I actually wanted to revert back to your question before the story is like um, – why is it that you believe that social media can be a bad thing for jujitsu, uh, rather than you know the obvious? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, like back in the day, man. I mean, I'm 31 this year, so it's not that I'm not that old. Well, you're great. You look great for 31, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back, like, you didn't have too much social media then, man. So like, bullying is so big these days. Like, mm -hmm. it's crazy, and that's one of the, my biggest fears as a as a father, man. Is like I can't protect my daughter 24 seven. No. She goes to school, now she's got social media. Like, not she doesn't have social media, she's five. But, like, we live in a social media world. Online bullying and, like, you know, I would listen to your, your podcast with Luke from Humble and you were talking about that, how uh, people were commenting on your videos and you're copping hate and blah, blah, blah. People don't understand, like, how uh, detrimental that can be for people's mental health. You mm. throw out a, a simple uh, comment like, oh, you're a loser or, or something like that, man, that can spiral someone into some really dark places, you know? And for what? Like, mm -hmm. you get nothing out of it, and, like, you're putting someone down for no reason, and there's no reason for it. So I talk about this all the time, man. Like, if I was sitting with you now, and we weren't doing this podcast, and I was scrolling Instagram, and I had to stop on someone's post 
to type to talk shit about whatever they're doing there's something wrong with me man like that is a terrible thing to do like it's going to take time out of my day to put someone down when you don't need to do that you know so that's why i'm not a big fan of the the, the trash talk and that in, in jiu-jitsu mma i think is different you're literally going to fight someone mm -hmm. and there's there can be dire con consequences to that you know like cte and uh you know you can't get knocked out and things like that, that i think that's a little bit different but in jiu-jitsu man we're we're rolling like we're not fighting like it's yeah it can be intense and it can be competitive and there's money on the line sometimes and that but man like 10 years from now i'm not going to talk about the match i had at blue belt with you know my rival you know i don't want to be talking about negative talking shit you know like i want to experience my whole journey of like where i've been and where i'm going like not you know what i mean i just think it's one of those things man it's, it's so inescapable these days and it can cause so much harm that people just don't realize yeah well um well let me ask have you ever actually ever met a hater in real life me yeah nah. yeah nah. me neither nah. i because i remember when i talked about the episode i think about six months into this podcast, when we produced a pretty de decent amount of episodes, I used to read like YouTube comments and all that because obviously, you know, that's where the audience is coming from. And it was a lot of crap. But then I thought to myself, when are these people actually, like, who many these people actually know? How many of these people are actually generally going to walk up to me on the street and say that? Yeah, they, they don't. They man. don't. No, yeah. they don't. And yeah. uh, it's, it's big like that in the Jitsu community, man. But it's, it's one of those things and like, it's also how we react to it and like what attitude we take to it. Like, I'm not going to, spend time out of my day responding to that like it doesn't change like it doesn't you could get off this podcast and be like man that guy was talking shit for an hour that doesn't change me as a person you know i'm still the same person and i'm still going to try and achieve what i'm trying to achieve like if i give it negative energy i'm going to take that to the time i spend with my daughter the time i spend with my partner the time i spend with my team and then i'm going to have consequences with that because i'm in such a negative mindset like it's just not a, a good place to be you know so I try and avoid it as much as possible, man. I, I'm definitely not getting any internet beef yeah. anytime soon. Agreed. I actually generally believe that also, like, the less time you spend on social media, sometimes the better. There's people who live on it when it comes to work. Mm -hmm. Totally understand that. But then there's people... I feel like the more you write it, the more you're sort of like going to drain into yourself and also because it comes down to... It's just a highlight reel. Yeah. And people do post, obviously, some down moments on social media. I understand that. But... um yeah, a lot of the time, it's just, like, two seconds that you see and you don't know the two seconds behind it. Yeah, for sure. And that's pretty much where it can get pretty much what, all that it is. Anyway, uh, just moving on, because there was definitely something I really wanted to ask you. Uh, your gym specifically, does it focus, uh, I just need to clear up, does it focus mainly on just no gi, or does it, does it do a lot of gi too? No, we do both, man. Yeah, but, I thought so, but, yeah. But people... Um, just believe we're a nogi gym, which is fine. Like, we're okay with that, man. But we do mm. do both. Like yeah. We're, I just wanted to clear that yeah, up. Yeah, we're, we're competent in the gi too, man. I trained eight years solid in the gi before I made the switch to nogi. So, uh, like, we know what we're doing, man. Yeah. But, but we're okay with that, man. Like, I was talking about this yesterday. Like, we get that a lot. Like, yeah. they're just a nogi gym or they're just a leg lock gym. They only know leg locks. It's like, why would we be insulted about being specialists in something? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, oh, hey, man, you're really good at that. Why is that a bad thing? Like, okay, yeah, that's well, that's a that's a well point. I wanted to clear that up because when you have a conversation with someone who does PJJ and ask us with everyone, I mean, there's the argument between gi and no gi, which one which one do you prefer and all that, and everyone has their preferences. Uh, I just really wanted to know yours. What's your take on the two? Yeah, I mean, I believe 
uh, jiu-jitsu is gi. Like, when we talk about jiu-jitsu, we're talking about in the gi. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we talk about grappling, that's no gi, you know, because you can have so many different styles in no gi. I mean, you can just be a good wrestler. You can come from sambo or catch, catch as catch can, whatever you, you want, you know. So uh, we did not promote people if they didn't train in the gi uh, for the first few years. I've kind of rescinded on that, man, because I'm, a, I'm starting to feel like no gi is uh, its own sport now. Um, therefore, they're breaking away. Yeah, do you believe there's a big exodus to gi at the mo- no gi at the moment? I, well, I think it's a, a combination of things, man. Okay. I think it's more appealing to people. I think it's easier as a as a business owner. Like you come into the gym, you've never done jiu-jitsu before, you want to sign up. You don't want to sign up and then spend two hundred bucks on a gi because you know the the economy at the moment. Not a lot of people are making money. You know what I mean? So if you want to start a hobby, you want to spend six hundred bucks the first month of your hobby. Like you know, it's a lot of money. It's a mm. big investment. But if I go, hey, you can wear your t-shirt and shorts. Then you hang around for a month and you go, oh, I want to try the gi. I want to do this, you know. Um, I think that's a big case, man. And then obviously for athletes, it's the money thing. You know, that's why I made the transition to begin with. Because when I was getting super fights, no gi, I was getting paid a lot, you know. Mm. So I was like, well, if I'm getting paid good money, I need to put an effort into this. And then when I started to put an effort effort into it, you know, I realized, okay, I could I could do something with this. So let's stick with that. But I still train in the gi a couple of times a week, man. I love it. Like, I when I retire from competing, I'll probably only train in the gi. Like, I love training in the gi, man. But I just think no gi is definitely turning into its own sport. So, like, you need to treat it as such. You, mm. I think if you want to win worlds at black belt and you're starting now as a white belt, you can't do both. You have to pick which one you, you want to excel at and go down that path. Because you've got specialists now. You've got guys that have spent, you know, 15 years doing one. You know, it's hard to, to make that switch. But that's just my opinion, man. I'm sure... Many other people would disagree with me, which is which is fine. Fair point, fair point. And you mentioned earlier on, like they said, they call you like a leg lock only gym. Why is that the case? Oh, uh, uh, man, a lot of our guys and girls are, are really proficient in leg locks, man, and, and, and have a high level of it. We, we finish a lot of matches with leg locks and we allow leg locks in the gym, man. A lot of gyms don't, you know, we, okay. we have strict rules with it, um, but we allow it in the gym, you know, and it's something I, I hold dearly. I love leg locks. I'm really interested in them you know it's, it's a big part of my game and again like a lot of people are going to follow what i do in the gym as as the as the leader so you know if jake's doing leg locks or i want to do leg locks you know uh, and then the level just rises man like um rising tides something ships i don't know what the saying is now, <laughs> you know what i mean fair, like, fair point fair, because uh i wanted to ask you from your so from your perspective what is it about leg locks that makes them so bloody co- controversial because yeah so for, for, I don't know what, like, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not too much in the history of why they were banned to begin with, man. But I think why it's so popular now is because a lot of high-level belts didn't do them for so long. Okay. So a white, blue, or purple who got proficient in leg locks might be able to submit the black belt who doesn't know leg locks, and that's their little ego win, right? Whereas if he tried to pass the black, or she tried to pass the black belt's guard, probably not going to happen. Take the black belt's back, probably not going to happen, you know? But if they've got the same knowledge in the leg department, then it's completely even. I think that's a big driving factor now, man, especially in the lower belts. They want to win, you know, yeah. over skill development. But um, one of the biggest things, I mean, Danaher is probably one of the, like, the yeah. guy or one of the guys that talks about it the most, man. And and he put it in a way that there's no position that you can get into in jiu-jitsu where you can hide your legs. So it's one of those things that if I can attack your legs 100% of the time, whether I'm in a bad spot or not, like if you've got my back, it's not that hard. To, well, it is hard, but 
you know, there's leg entries there. If I'm in side control, there's leg entries, mount, leg entries, etc. Whereas, like, I can't take your back unless I create back exposure. And that can be extremely difficult, you know. So the fact that I can attack your legs all the time puts you in a defensive cycle a lot and me in an offensive cycle, and then I can start to play my game, not your game. So I think that plays a big factor in it, man, um, in my opinion. Okay, fair enough. And do you – what stage do you reckon in someone's business journey should they start learning leg locks? Depends what leg locks we're talking about, man. Okay. We let purple belts and above heel hook, knee bar, toe hold in the gym. Okay. Um, if you come to the pro class, which is our ADCC pro class – uh, everybody's allowed a leg lock, whether you're a white belt, uh, blue belt, purple belt. But again, man, it's the gym culture. I trust my guys aren't trying to rip each other's legs off. Mm. You know? So like, I feel safe in the pro class, like trading leg locks with people because I know they're not trying to hurt me. Whereas, you know, if you don't slowly implement that into your curriculum, people are going to get tap happy, grab the leg and and reef. You know, like tap happy. I haven't had that yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, like they, you know what I mean. Like they want to. They grab a submission, they just want to crank it. So, like, if I put you in an armbar, right, this is how I like to explain it to people. If I put you in an armbar, you've been there a thousand times, right? You know how far your arm is, is going to be able to extend before it's going to start to pop, and you're like, okay, I get it. Okay, now. Now, people don't spend a lot of time in leg locks, therefore they're uncomfortable. And then they don't know where the braking pressure is on their leg. So they either tap too early or they tap too late. They tap too early, it's invalid. If they tap too late, they get a break. So then they get scared, you know what I mean? But it's a comfortability thing. Like we spend so much time in leg locks, we're comfortable there. So even if one of my guys catches me in a leg lock, sweet, I'm good. Let's keep going. Let's learn from that mistake. It doesn't, I'm not uncomfortable because I know what's happening. You know what I mean? But the big thing is people just don't know and they're scared of the unknown. And then also as higher belts, if you haven't learned leg locks, it's very, there's where that ego thing comes in. It's very hard to start back at, at day one with the purple belts or the blue belts. You know, they want to keep that, oh, I'm the professor, I'm in charge. Like everybody needs to look at me as like the be all and end all. Like we don't do that in the gym, man. Like if one of my purple belts has created something cool, like show me. Why does that work? Like, how does that work? You know, like, I want to try that. Oh, okay, maybe I can adapt it for myself or maybe I, it's not going to work. You know, like, having an open mind when it comes to that stuff is extremely important for skill development. So, point. And one of the last questions you just wanted to ask you, man, is uh, what's your take on stripes? This is something I like to ask a lot of our uh, black belts mm -hmm. because I've heard people say in the past, they say, oh, you know, they say, they, some of them say they're useless. Some say they're a good form of progression. Yeah. I just wanted to hear your take. Yeah, we probably don't do it an, an, an as much as we should in the gym, man. I'm pretty bad at that, man. I don't keep, <laughs> it, I don't keep a record of it. Yeah. I probably should. Um, but I, I agree, man. Like, I think especially the, like, the white and blue belt level, I think it's important because, like, especially if, like, you're putting so much time onto the mat, you do want to be rewarded. I mean, you don't really want materialistic things, but it is good to show that you, your hard work is being noticed. Um and being rewarded in that sense, but it can go the other way too, man. Business owners can use it to keep students and, and earn more money and stuff like that. So I think it really just comes down to the gym, man, and, and what they're comfortable with. We have two gradings a year. Um, I promote people through the year if they're ready for it. Um, but, like, we don't hand out belts in my gym, man. Like, we don't talk about it. Like, I, I it's one of the taboo topics. Like, I my students don't talk to me about it. Like, I don't want them to talk to me about it. Mm, I think it's okay. one of those things that, you know, it shouldn't really be on your mind. Like I said, skill development should be the, the goal, yeah. not what color your belt is. 
So what would you do then if a student came to you and said, hey, man, what do I need to do to get the next stripe? Or Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell, I would, again, I wouldn't be rude about it and or aggressive and be like, oh, man, don't talk to me. I'd just be <laughs> like, oh, look, you, you know, you need to focus on, like, how many times can you get to class a week? Oh, yeah. uh, four. Cool. You, you're rocking up once, man. You're telling me you can get to four classes, but you're coming down once. Mm. You know what I mean? Or like, you like what, what are you working on your game at the moment? Oh, I'm just surviving. Well, that's not working on your game, man. Like, tell mm. me specifics. Like, can you, do you understand what you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's more to it than just, like, time on the mat, you know, which was a big factor for people getting graded before, like, how long you've been training, right? Well, my daughter started at two, and she's six in uh, July. So that'll be four years. Like, should she be getting belts? Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, she's young, so the knowledge there, but she spent four years on... Like Longer than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she get if she gets to sixteen and she's supposed to get her blue belt, if she's not ready or she stopped training or she's not just going to get given it, you know what I mean? Like I, I think that is an issue, time. But again, everyone's different. So I've got a, a brown belt who trains four times a week and he's sixty six years old. Wow. But I'm not going to grade him like my professionals who are trying to make, you know, make it to ADCC or win worlds or whatever. It's it's different, you know. So maybe time on the mat for him is the difference between him being a, a brown belt and a black belt. But it's individual, man. I, I just think as a gym, like, you need to set that standard pretty early. And we, we did that. Like, if like guys and girls know if they get a belt at Essence, they earned it. It wasn't given to them for any other reason. So that's important to me as a black belt instructor. Very well spoken. Now, unfortunately, that's all the time we got for. But just before we finish this up, man, uh, if any of the followers want to follow you and your academy, where can they find you? Yeah, so Essence BJJ on Instagram, man. I think it's Jake OD BJJ. Uh, it'll be <laughs> it's on funny there, I said yeah. that when we actually talk shit about Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Media. To be fair, man, like I do post regularly um, for jiu-jitsu and I, like, we, I try and put some reels up and stuff, but I don't know my handle, man. It's something like that. If you type in Jake underscore, I'm sure you'll... You'll find me on there, man. Oh, cool. You happy with us putting it under the link of this uh, podcast? Yeah, 100%, man, definitely. Oh, cool. Oh, well, thank you very much, Jake. That is all our time. I will say, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast, new episodes weekly. Thank you very much for Jake for coming in. Please go follow him. And, of course, man, shout out to Luca Humble for setting definitely, this up, man. Yeah. Hope you're listening. All the best. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Jake. Awesome. Appreciate it, my man. Bye. All the best.